Good morning. Uh, I have a bit of a confession to make, and you'll keep this between you and me, right? Nobody is going to say this too much outside. I, 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 my confession is pretty simple. I hate waiting. I really do. Um, I don't know if you've gathered by the many references I've had in sermons in the past about the anger I feel when somebody impedes my forward progress in traffic, but I, it, that's actually just a symptom of one of, of my main problem. I am an impatient man. Luckily, the Lord is dealing with me on this, but I am an impatient man. <laughs> that's I'm pretty sure that I'm not alone in that one. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Makes me feel a little bit better about my own struggles. Thank you. But I mean, it is a struggle. We have trouble waiting. And I, I think a lot of people do. I remember when I, I, this isn't a new thing. I remember when I was a child, uh, you know, you have Christmas coming up. And uh, by the time I didn't quite believe that Santa d gave me gifts anymore, I I knew that my parents bought stuff for me for Christmas, so I remember going through the house for the entire month of December trying to find my Christmas presents, which, by the way, kids, that's a really bad idea. Don't do it. Waiting is probably better. Just don't do it. But that doesn't change anything. I'm sure you're probably still going to do it anyway, because I did anyway, too. Every year, I had the experience of going through the house trying to find my gifts because I hate waiting. And yet, for a large chunk of the Christian year, this period now from this Sunday until Christmas Day, we have a period that's pointedly stated to be a period of waiting. That's what Advent is. It's to wait for the coming of Jesus. And to be clear, it's not waiting for Christmas December 25th. That's just the symbol we use. We're waiting for Jesus. It's a season to remind us that we are waiting for Jesus. And waiting's not easy. The, the thing that we saw when we were kids that we wanted our gifts pretty quickly, that's kind of a minor waiting. What happens when you're waiting for something and it's something that you really, really, really deeply desire, as Christians should really, really deeply desire to see the return of Christ, to see the end of war and strife, to see the end of the sin that we wage war against in our own lives and the, the end of those cycles of, of, of falling into sin and needing to, feeling the shame and needing to repent again, and recognizing that, that 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 day will not, there will be a day when that will no longer be true. But waiting for that can be so hard. So many times our desires are frustrated. Um, I am not a premillennial person, but there are people who make an entire cottage industry of trying to predict the end of time. And every few years, they tell us that, the, that this time for sure, the, the, the return of Christ is going to be. And then the more extreme cultic versions of this will say, it'll be this date. And then this date comes and passes, and it hasn't happened. And it's easy for us to lose hope, to, 
desire something and not see it, to be frustrated so often with it not coming, to imagine for a second that it might never come. It's not a new thing. It's, it's actually in the Bible. Uh, the apostles dealt with it when they were talking to uh, different people. They would say things like, uh, you know, where is the, where's the sign of his coming? This is where you get the Bible verse that uh, the kindness of the Lord is meant to lead us to repentance because the kindness of the Lord is what saves us from his return because when Christ returns, well, the game's over. Everything is finished. And we who are Christians know that putting faith in Jesus saves us from our sin, but we do know that there are going to be people who won't be in Christ when that happens. And so God's goodness uh, does that, but it's still hard for us to wait. What if your consolations and gifts come? Uh, What if we have ideas that maybe today, maybe today it's going to happen. We see all the signs outside, we imagine it's going to happen, and then it doesn't. Advent is a time of waiting for something to come, or rather someone to come, the King Jesus. We are not the first to have to deal with this kind of waiting, not even close. Simeon and Anna knew this situation. The two people we meet in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to following, I kind of hope you have your Bibles open because it's going to be important to look at it. Give you a second. Simeon and Anna experienced a long life. Anna is in her 80s. We don't know how old Simeon is, but he's been around for a long time, and most people are going to say that he's probably of comparable age. They've been waiting a long time. If If they are of comparable age, you have to remember, Simeon and Anna were born in an independent Israel. They heard stories of Judas Maccabeus overthrowing Antiochus Epiphanes and building the the kingdom of Israel. They were young people when the Romans first walked into Jerusalem and took over the temple. They, 30 years previous to this, uh, the last of the Hasmonean kings, an an Israelite, sat on the throne with the help of the Persians, oh, sorry, Parthians. And then three years later, an upstart king gained military support from the Senate of Rome, defeated the Parthians, and kicked them out of Jerusalem. And the Romans have been ruling Jerusalem ever since. That is the world that Anna and Simeon are dealing with. They saw their hopes crushed, not once, but twice. They had heard the stories that God was going to send a savior for Israel, but it had never happened. Simeon had the prophecy in his, he- in, in, in his past that he would not die before seeing God's salvation come. But now he was old. And it looked like the Roman Empire still at the apex of its authority. 
would stay controlling Israel forever. Anna was waiting for the consolation of Jerusalem and it hadn't come for decades. It's been 30 years, 30 years that she's been waiting and it hasn't come. I imagine that it would be very hard for them to keep the faith for that long. And yet they did. And then there comes one day. One day, a perfectly normal, average day. So profoundly normal. Understand that when Mary and Joseph took the baby Jesus to the temple. They were doing something that every observant Jewish family did. They were uh, um, presenting the first male to the Lord. As it says, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they were to offer a sacrifice according to what the Lord said, a, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's how Luke uh, records it. Now, that comes from Leviticus 12.8, and if you go back there, you'll recognize that that's for people who can't afford a lamb. They couldn't afford a lamb, so they bought two turtle doves. And that doesn't mean that they were radically poor. It's just that, you know, buying a lamb for this is a big deal. Rich people do this. So they bought a pair of turtle doves, as they should, It's a completely normal event. Hundreds of people do this every day in the temple. There's probably crowds all around them while they're doing this. And Simeon and Anna have no reason yet to believe that there is something massively amazing happening. Now, we as believers, we've lived through uh, the whole story of, uh, of the Gospels. We know where this ends. If you haven't read the end of the story yet, you probably should. It's a great story. Read through the four Gospels, read through the Acts and all of the letters into the book of Revelation. It's a great story. We know the end of the story. We know who Jesus is. Get this. God is returning to his temple On this day, God comes into his own temple for the first time in hundreds of years. On this day, to a couple who couldn't afford a lamb, carry the very lamb of God into the temple. And nobody sees it. They're still milling about. They're still not seeing what's happening. And yet God has prepared for himself praise. You see, this is the first point I want to talk about. God does keep his promises. By the way, that's the title of my sermon, God Keeps His Promises. Pretty simple. You should be able to remember that one when we go home after this. God keeps his promises, but not everybody sees that God keeps his promises. We see four examples here in the text. Some some do see. 
Maybe not clearly, but they do see. Uh, look at verse 33. And his father and marvel, mother marveled at what was said about him when Simeon tells them about what's going to happen. They believe, not completely, not perfectly, but they believe that something big is going on. They're marveling at this. Some see the marvelousness of this. They have a reason to see it. They're interested in what people are saying about their son. They have a vested interest in what's being said, and so they see. Some see because they are seeking God, and God knows that they need to see. Simeon and Anna, they see what's happening. Simeon breaks into song about this. They, need, they see. Why do they see? They're seeking him, and God knows that they need to see. Statistically speaking, some of the people in this temple will see later, but do not see yet. They're too busy. They've allowed the many things that they expect in life and the many things that go on throughout the week and in the life, they've, they're busy. They've got stuff to do. And so you can almost ex understand why they don't see. They just keep milling about in their business, not seeing what's happening. then there's the fact that some see because they don't want to. Look at verse 34. This is a little bit further down. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your, through your soul also. And here's the thing that kind of made my blood run cold when I read it this week. So that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Why do some not see? Why will some oppose the sign that we see? The goodness of God fulfilling his promises to Israel, being a light to lighten the Gentiles, to save his people Israel, to save us as we are grafted in to the people of God. Why will some oppose this? Because they want to. Because the thoughts of their hearts are such that they want, don't want to see what's happening. And before we think poorly of people like that, I recognize we're all in that boat. Have you ever noticed how your first reaction when anything goes wrong in your life is almost never to imagine what mistake you've made? It's almost always to notice what mistake somebody else made. I'm coming, getting late to church, not because I didn't leave on time, but because that jerk in front of me is just staying at the red light for too long. Again, I said I have a problem with, it, with patience. It's not my fault that uh, my life hasn't gone the way I wanted. The, the decisions I've made haven't brought me to the place that I wanted to go. It's because somebody else has frustrated my goals, my aims, and my ambitions. We almost always do this. And the thoughts of our hearts are real. 
They're a real thing that affect the way we see the world around us. That's why people might actually find themselves opposing God because they really don't want this to be true, that Jesus is going to open their eyes to the truth. The problem is we often have competing gods and Jesus will throw those gods down because he is the true God. And he, because of that, he will be opposed. Reality will come true. Reality is going to assert itself. It's one of the things we will notice. Seeing the promises of God fulfilled partially, partially relies on where your heart is. Are you your God or is God your God? You see, God is fulfilling his promises are only good news to people who follow God. It's not going to be good news that God's promises are true unless you trust God's promises. At the very best, if you don't trust God's promises, they're irrelevant. But most cases, because God's promises are to make righteousness rain down, like waters, because God's promises are to make it such that evil and sin will be no more someday, if we like our evil and our sin, which let's be frank, most of us do if we are, if we are still sinners, and we, we are, then it's not always going to seem good news to us that God will fulfill his promises. And sometimes, because something is so hard for us to see, we just won't see it. So that's the warning to start the the sermon here. Be careful. Be careful before we look into the word and imagine that, you know, we understand completely what's being said here. Check your heart. Your heart's going to be important. Because your heart might lead you to oppose the sign of Jesus. That was the first point. Not all see that God keeps his promises. I I also want to say, just for a side note here, this isn't a matter of intelligence. There are really, really smart people who oppose Jesus. There are really, really dumb people who follow Jesus. Look at the apostles sometime. Character studies, they're not exactly the sharpest tools in the shed. And yet, God chose them. (laughs) The question is a moral one. Are you willing to see the truth of who God is? Are you willing to be corrected? Are you willing to be reproved so that you can live in righteousness after repenting? That's going to be the question. Because God does keep his promises. He does. This text is an example of it. Simeon actually says when he breaks into song, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For mine eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. God keeps his promises and Simeon has seen God keep his promises. 
God promised that Simeon would not leave this earth before he saw God's fulfillment and he is seeing God's fulfillment. Can you imagine the feeling, by the way? Just imagine the feeling that Simeon has. He's waited decades to see this happen, to see the king of kings come into his temple. And this isn't the way he might have expected it. It might not be the way he imagined it. But he feels with absolute certainty through a gift of the Spirit of God that this child that is now walking into the temple in his mother's arms is the consolation of Israel. (laughs) He might even get to hold him in his hands. The sheer joy involved. It's not surprising that he bursts into song, but notice the song that he bursts into. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. We face our real life situations because God keeps his promises. Simeon is under no illusions. He's an old man. He's gonna die. And, and don't get, don't mistake this. Most people don't like dying. Jesus didn't want to die. You notice that in the text, in the Bible? He says, you know, Lord, let this cup pass from me, rather than my, my will, but thy will be done. Death is not fun. It is a real enemy. And yet, Simeon is going to face this enemy with the full recognition that God keeps his promises. Not not merely this one promise, by the way. Remember, God here is keeping a single promise to Simeon. Simeon is understanding now that because God keeps this promise, this very difficult promise, well, chances are really, really good. God keeps them all. So the promises in, in Job when, you know, yet my flesh will fail, yet I will in my flesh see the Lord. That's true. That the Lord will not let his anointed see suffering. That's true. That there will come a day when Satan and death and all things evil will be destroyed. That God will triumph. That's true. Simeon is looking through the, prom- the single promise that he has and recognizing that now, because he knows God keeps his promises, he can have peace. He, and now he can depart in peace. He faces the real truth of his life, of the situation he's in, and recognizes that because God keeps his promises, he doesn't need to fear anymore. He can have peace. This is, by the way, what the Bible talks about when it calls, talks about the peace that passes all understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of the Lord. God keeps his promises, and so we can face our reality. Why? My eyes have seen your salvation. Don't miss that little particle of the sentence. Simeon has seen God's salvation coming through so he can trust that God will keep his promise through salvation. He might not see the actual full consummation of Christ in this life. He probably won't. There is no mention of Simeon further on in the Gospels doing anything at all. (laughs) 
He's probably long gone by the time that Jesus begins his earthly ministry. And yet he knows salvation is coming. I have seen his salvation. Second, we proclaim God's goodness because God keeps his promises. This light to reveal the, to the Gentiles the glory, and for the glory of Israel, that's how Simeon f- finishes his song, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. <laughs> the light is clear. You can see God working. It's almost the problem. That's why people oppose Jesus. You can't just ignore him. It'd be nice if you could. But once you've heard of Jesus, once you've heard the claims that he's making, your responses are either going to be you love him or you hate him. You're going to follow him or you're not. I mean the real one that you find in scripture. Because he's either the truth or he's not. Either he's the truth or he's a liar. I think uh, C.S. Lewis talked about the liar, lunatic, Lord trilemma. He's one of those. And he is the Lord. But it's clear, so you've got a choice. You either accept him, you deal with your own sin and you repent. You come to saving faith in Jesus, trusting not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Or you find ways to ignore Jesus. You'll either make a new Jesus for yourself or you'll pretend that he's something different or you'll say that he was just some crazy dude or that he was a very good moral teacher that modernly we have reinterpreted into something more divine. We'll change Jesus so that we can keep our sin, so that we can keep our rebellion But God is good and he keeps his promises because your sin doesn't have to rule you anymore. (laughs) It doesn't. Today, right now, if you are, if you don't know Jesus right now and you come, you come to trust in him, you just ask him to help you to pray. (laughs) Your sin is dead. He can change you. He can can take out the heart of stone and put back a heart of flesh, a heart that is a rebellious to God, replaced with a heart that loves him and that seeks after him. And, and, And I can say that because God keeps his promises. We know this. God God keeps doing it. Every time he makes a promise, it comes to fruition. Not necessarily in the way we want it to, but it always does. And he promises that he who begins a good work in us will carry it through to the completion in the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't need to live in sin anymore. If you have that problem, you don't need to worry. You don't need to stay there. Just repent and turn to Jesus. It is going to cost you all of your sin and all of the things that you value that aren't quite godly. But it will be worth it. (laughs) Today, you don't need to fear death. You don't need to be in fear of evil. You don't need to be in fear that we have somehow, you've missed the boat and ultimate glory is now passed by you. 
Because what people intend for evil, God intends for good. And that promise is a promise of God. And God keeps his promises. Even if they take a long time, even if it's hard to keep your faith, he keeps his promises. Anna hears this, and that's why she speaks out. She says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Do you get the joy here? She has seen the promises of God fulfilled, and she has to talk about it. She has to preach it. She has to speak it aloud. Because God keeps his promises. Why do, you, why do we praise God? Why do we have a large chunk of this worship service that we do every Sunday where we're singing? Because God keeps his promises and we can praise him because he keeps his promises. He never lets any of his words fall void. Nothing God promises stops. He will be fulfilled in everything. The things that we can intend for evil, God intends for good. The things that we uh, imagine are irredeemable, God shows off by redeeming because he keeps his promises. And friends, that's great news. I find it interesting that I, I find it so easy to remain silent about this so often. I, I, I find myself... I wage war with the sin in my own flesh because of this, because I find it so easy to think of other things other than Jesus, to imagine that somehow I need to bring about God's promises to fruition. When God has said that he will do that, I just need to be faithful. (laughs) We proclaim God's goodness because God keeps his promises, and his promises are good. And they are fulfilled. (laughs) I think a lot of people like the hymn, Come O Come Emmanuel. I know that's a little bit uh, random sounding. But this week a friend of mine exposed me to a kind of a remix version by Tommy Prophet of uh, O Come O Come Emmanuel. Most recent album, the Christmas album for 2020. And it's a really good remix. And it's, it's building up, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and you have this massive driving music all the way until right just before the end. And then the powerful driving music stops, and you just hear a single note. I hate my voice, sorry, I apologize. A single note. That, I think that expresses something really good about the passage that we see today. You see, Simeon and Anna got to see the salvation of Israel come into the temple. They got to see God return to the temple. And then we hear nothing else. Do you know why? The day continued. The day just kept going on as normal. People walked out. At the end of this, they would see Joseph and Mary carry baby Jesus out of the temple 
and most of the people in the temple would continue milling about just like always. That's kind of the problem we face as Christians. You see, no matter how strong our feelings are during this service, no matter how much we get to praise Jesus and we lift our hands and we feel the presence of God with us, this service will end if the Lord tarries. I mean, it's, it's theoretically possible the Lord Jesus could return before I finish my sentence. Well, come Lord Jesus. But chances are really good this service is gonna end and we're gonna go our separate ways. We're waiting for Jesus. And it, God might have even been speaking to your heart through this message and through the songs that you hear. We, we can believe that God's promises all hold true here. While we're sitting here, it's easy. But regular life will reassert itself. Whatever feelings of closeness with God we feel right now or have felt back when we had that really good experience of God's uh, presence through worship can get lost in a lot of minor menial tasks, things that need to get done, no, no doubt, things that really do need to get done. But it's easy to miss the fulfillment of who God is and that God keeps his promises. You see, after these events, Jesus' parents leave and the overwhelmingly normal day continues, completely and overwhelmingly normal. Uh, if, if you aren't in Simeon's or Anna's immediate vicinity, you'd have no reason to know something momentous has happened, even though it has. You wouldn't know that God's promises have been fulfilled right there in your presence. You could theoretically have been walking through the temple and you know, bumped Mary's arm as she walked out, never knowing the, tr the sheer glory of what you've just, just witnessed. We can live our day, days like that. Friends, we live in God's world. God is speaking to us every moment of every day. The sheer glory of the things of God around us all the time is, well, <laughs> the only reason we can ignore it is because we have a lot of practice in ignoring it. But we will possibly do that. We may have experienced God in this service, heard the truth of the gospel, but the, if the Lord tarries, this worship service will end and we will go our separate ways. The question that remains is profound and simple. Will we be doing all that comes after this, trusting that God keeps his promises, that one day our sin will be gone, that sickness and death will be no more and all, will, and all evil will come to nothing? Actually, worse than that, all evil will be redeemed and God will be glorified through it. There will be a day when we'll no longer fear diseases and tyrants and COVID lockdowns, but everything will be set right. And the corruptible flesh we now inhabit will be replaced by the incorruptible as our salvation and reconciliation become full. We'll... we'll, we'll Will we know that this light momentary affliction, whatever light momentary afflictions we have, is working for us a weight of glory beyond comparison? By the way, another promise of God. That every moment we live is suffused with the glory of God who loves us 
and is working all things together in keeping his promises, his good, loving, and most importantly, based on the text today, his sure promises. Will we live like that? Recognizing the truth of a God who keeps his promises. Or will we just have lunch? Friends, the, situa- the question is a simple one and it's profound. Will we live today recognizing that God keeps his promises? Will we live this Advent in eager expectation of the return of Christ? Or will this just be another Christmas? Let's pray. Lord God, you are far better than we can ask or imagine. Your glories are far more important than we could ever think. And yet so often we miss you. So often we forget that your promises are sure, that everything that comes from your mouth is good and is for our joy. Lord God, let us not forget your truth today. Let us live in understanding of who you are and of whose we are. We should pray in Jesus' name.